0: Venivores, Voice, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt, or haven't hunted, or haven't hunted much, want to learn, or want to learn. I feel that tingling
1: in the back of my neck. You have to be there. You have to be there. You don't know it at the time, yeah. you know, but it sticks with you all your life. And you, you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter. You
0: Welcome back to the New Venivores podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt uh, or want to learn how to hunt uh, want to get more familiar with the culture of hunting and outdoorsmanship in general and it's about fishing too I'm Tony Martinson that's Adam Miller I just about had a crisis here man I had no booze in the house for our recording session. I found some. Don't worry. Well, that's good. I've got my uh, Renaissance Festival coffee mug full of uh, chokecherry wine from my parents' own chokecherry trees.
2: (laughs) Well, I was about to
1: ask you, could you imagine if you were born in a different time, per se, and had to make your own booze? Yeah. Clearly,
0: you've, you've just done that. So, <laughs> Well, I haven't done it, but it's uh, a serious thing. Well, not a serious thing. It's something that I thought would be appropriate because it was grown by my parents, at least the chokecherries. I made chokecherry wine and, I think, plum wine. <clears throat> so, that's what i got this time. So, was like,
1: I wonder that at times. Like, if I were to be born, let's say, the Mountain Man era. Yeah. Or a Neanderthal. I always maintain that I made a hell of a Neanderthal. <laughs> it's, it's like, how would I have functioned? Would I have done, been on par with the hundreds of the time? Would I have been shitty at it? Would I have been, I don't know. It's an I interesting concept.
0: I wonder that too, actually. Um, and, I mean, yeah, I've wondered that often. Like, I don't know who the first one says it, who says to say it is, uh, but, you know, like... Somewhere along the line, somebody had to be sitting there out on a hunt and see a four-legged, cloven-hooved animal running in a pack and be sneaking up on it. And one guy had to go like, wait, 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 wait. I bet I can ride that shit. (laughs) (laughs) And that's horses, right? (laughs) Um, But like now, I mean, right? Like just to have a glass of wine to talk it's choke cherries that my parents harvested a bunch of and they sent it somewhere. They didn't make their own, but they did that. Um, I mean, you know, we go out, there's a giant spider on my wall. That's gross. Uh, we went out, we go out and get food, but I mean, if it was a always thing, that would be tough. Right. And I mean, I caught H1N1 when the swine flu was going around. So if it was a hundred years ago, I probably would have died on that. So, uh, I guess we know how I would have fared, but it's an interesting thing to think about, you
1: know. Well, i just wondering, now, is like, as me and you talk, we're, what, 250 miles away. Yeah. You know, but it's just, it's something about technology seems to have made at least part of us soft.
2: Yeah, I mean, oh, there's,
1: yeah. There, there's no doubt in my mind about that. And it, what I'm looking at now is I spend a fair amount of time <laughs> on, like, outdoors message boards type stuff. And, yes. like... People that are, they seem to be terrified of the concept of having a bad day of fishing. Like they cannot go fishing without a recent report of what lake, (laughs) what depth, what they're using, what what bait are they biting on, what time of day they should go. I mean, and it's just, it gets to a point where it gets to be almost sickening. Really? You know, it, well, obviously I want to help some folks, but you'll see right. some people, I want to help everybody, let's put it that way, but you'll see some people who <laughs> refuse to help themselves. Right. Like, all the ask is like a constant barrage of, how's this leg doing? How's that leg doing? And yeah. it's like, did you ever go fishing to the first tip I gave you? <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, do you have a report to give yourself? Right. You know, did you go? So... You know, there's anybody that spent any amount of time hunting fish, fishing especially, has chased a bite halfway across the state, halfway across the country, whatever, and ended up with a lousy day of fishing. And
0: when you say chasing a bite, you mean going to find where the hot tip is, where the bite is supposed to be good, right? Right. In my is so, going up to whatever bay in Malax on whatever time of the week and turn around me. in three circles and stomp your feet three times and cast this down in the prop wash and you'll catch a hog, right?
1: About like that. You know, because it, it, I have found out in my life, in my experience, that by the time I hear about the hot perch bite, it is over. So, so I shouldn't rely on the uh, – don't rely on the tips anyway. Yeah. You know, but it just oh, – what I want to instill in people is like, go out and earn that information, man. Like completely. Like, what's the worst that could happen? You went fishing. <laughs> oh my, oh my gosh! No, <laughs> I didn't catch anything, but I still spent time on the lake. Heaven forbid. You know
0: that's how you learn. Well, and there's the no old saying that every old boy is repeated a thousand times. That's why they call it fishing and not catching. That's why mm-hmm. they call it hunting and not shooting or killing. Right. Right, because you're out there trying to figure it out and do it. Because even if you get the hot tip no matter what, right, that does that's not a guarantee. There's no guarantee. You still gotta no, get out there, absolutely you still not. gotta hump it through the woods or the mountains or uh, walk across a frozen lake or find your spot on the bank or drive your boat wherever mm-hmm. to get to the spot. And it's still not a guarantee, especially with fish, man. If right. you understand the way a fish thinks and moves, like I wanna shake your hand, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's essentially an alien in a different world that you're trying to figure out and make bite, albeit a not very smart alien as far as we know. But trying to get in the head of that thing is part of the fun, but also part of the frustration, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: So these online forums, do you think, how much uh, subterfuge do you think is going on on these online forums? What do you mean? Well, how many people are putting deliberate fake tips out there? So it's I think that's nil. Really?
1: Yeah, I think that's so little that it's not worth being worried about. Okay.
0: The at least the, the ones the,
1: that I pay attention to.
0: The nature of the internet, as it is, I would think that there's at least a little bit of somebody sitting back, having a chuckle, sending guys in the wrong direction. But I suppose sure, no more than the old sure boys sipping is, coffee but... around. Uh, no more than the old boys sipping coffee around the table in the local, whatever cafe.
1: I guess for me as an angler, I got I got better shit to do, man, than yeah. try and give people false tips and just give them, you know, no tip. That's yeah. if, I'm, if that's how I'm going to play it. For sure. So, for sure. You know, but for folks that it's like hunting, fishing, this outdoor thing, is if it's a foreign concept to you, if I can relate it in a way, if let's say you were in school and you had a group project and – you know, you've skipped every meeting your group has had. That's exactly it, it actually. Yeah. And then, like, the rest of your group is, like, putting together the collective knowledge, got the project done. And then, like, you send out a group text the night before, like, hey, where do I sign my name on this so I can get credit for it?
0: <laughs> yeah. And then when you, it you doesn't know? work out and you get mad about it, it's, like, showing up being, like, what the hell, guys, you want me to present?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, God bless the people that are like, Yeah, I guess you can put your name on it. I don't care if you get the same A that I earned for you. Yeah. You know, you know, more power to them, but you know, if you're gonna be that guy, expect to have <clears throat> some sort of pushback to you, you know, that you're 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 asking and you're not offering anything. So
0: Yeah. Well and I find I find as a new hunter that that is and well that that is almost invaluable, the hot tips, right? Like, yeah. And not necessarily from, I mean, my life isn't such that when I hear a hot tip, I run out of the house and hop in my sparkly boat and uh, head down to the hottest spot um, and pull in all the walleyes, right? I can't, yeah. My life isn't set up that way, but it's more about Building that database that we talk about, right? And it's all the time, and it's specifically for fishing. I find this because, uh, as we said before, in fishing, people are a little bit more open about this particular subject, like sharing their spots, mm-hmm. sharing their gear, sharing their thing. I mean, it's still a little bit closed, but a lot less so than when it comes to hunting. Like, no one's going to tell you their elk spot, you know? No. And no one's going to tell you where they put their tree stand for really anything. No one's going to tell you the wallows or the uh, duck ponds that they like. No one's going to tell you any of that stuff. They're going to make you go out and get that. But specifically when it comes to fishing, people go, you know, whatever bay and whatever time was hot Uh, on XYZ thing. And we've even talked about it before. You know, I took your rig that you iced that bullhead on and caught a northern last time I was out fishing that – Swedish pimple with a minnow head on it, right?
1: <laughs> I, was kind of, I was kind of proud of that. I haven't noticed a bullhead, I don't think, I've ever. I've never so. seen a
0: bullhead come out of that lake, actually. But uh, <laughs> So people are a lot more open about that kind of stuff with fishing. Um, but And I find it very, very valuable. Um, and, you know, as somebody who's trying to figure out. But at a certain point, like, a tip is as valuable to me as it is to you especially when Mm -hmm. it comes to fishing like you as somebody who's been fishing a lot of his life it's still you get to a point of knowledge where to me or to you the tip is the tip and we can both go to the same place and do the same thing and have different results because that's the nature of fishing itself right Mm -hmm. so putting a lot of stock in these hot tips and running out and chasing them is kind of a fool's errand at a certain point i would think other than getting the information about conditions and all that stuff, conditions and gear and using it to build more of what you know about it. Right.
1: Right. You know, and this is something interesting that just occurred to me here is that, so now we're afforded, you know, modern times we're afforded a level of luxury that we can be secretive with these things, you know, be, yeah. but if we circle it back to how we started here, like, the sharing of information of where to find game, where to find fish, was vital. Yeah. Like, you could not—that was vital amongst the tribe. So, you know, maybe those folks are just—maybe they're actually more in touch. <laughs> right. You know? Right. You know? Right. I don't know. Maybe it's an interesting philosophical question, I don't think it about is. it.
0: It is, but— you're also talking about a time before market hunting had decimated most of the undulates in mm-hmm. uh, at least our area, and when population was much much lower than it is now, and the uh, accessibility to hunting those animals was entirely different than it is right now. Like uh, you're, 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 right.
1: you're right. you know, it's the allocation of resources is much different today than it was ten thousand years ago. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) And it's but I mean you're entirely correct though, like getting the information out there was critical. Or at least within Mm -hmm. your tribe, right?
1: Yeah, and then I would assume that, you know, the person that was able to go out and figure it out, find, hey man, I know where the elk are, I know where the fish are running. Like that person had some serious standing within the tribe. And then I became their chief. Right, so it's like you know, be that person, I guess you know, to, right. to to have that knowledge where you don't need the tip, you can just go out and catch fish if you need to, you know. So what I'm getting this getting at is you know, there's a fear of the unknown, but it's okay to have a bad day, you know. Just go yeah. fishing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and we've talked about that before too. When it we talked about pulling a shot right and not making it nah. perfect, which is nah. a little bit more serious of a situation than going uh-huh. out and having a skunk day fishing right um, uh, but, definitely but you can't be afraid to go out and have a not great time right as far as not bring in a bunch of fish or can't be afraid to go out and not accomplish the ultimate goal of shooting whatever or catching whatever because
2: mm-hmm.
0: you're getting something out of it every time right a day out fishing is better than a day on the couch as far as i'm concerned every single day a day walking through the forest or the mountains or wherever hunting or looking or hiking or gathering or whatever just being out there is better than a day on the couch no matter what as far as i'm concerned and if you don't agree with us you probably aren't a big fan of our podcast actually (laughs) (laughs) probably (laughs) not I mean, yeah, being out there is better than not being out there. So don't be afraid to have a bad time. And it's easy to get hung up on that stuff and get wrapped up. Um, how much do you think the internet has to do with that? Actually, everything. Everything. Okay. <laughs> I okay. mean, it is made. That's what I said. It kind of made us soft.
1: It's made us kind of lazy. Yeah. You know. You know. And it's and I. You know, I'm not immune to that. Well, and at risk
0: of being, uh, to quote one of my favorite movie characters of all time, Doc Holliday from Tombstone, Val Kilmer, my hypocrisy knows no bounds, because here we are having an internet radio show about how the internet <laughs> has made us soft, but uh, but in certain ways we live, especially when it comes to hunting and fishing, right? Like You can't get enough media and information out there, and there's a lot of pressure to you know, at least I feel or think that there could be, if you do it wrong, a lot of pressure to put out, you know, photos of all these fish you caught and all this stuff. Mm. And it feels like you're not going to have anyone's attention or you're not going to, uh, be taken seriously or, uh, have people think you're legitimate if you don't, you know, post three deer and an elk and a moose every year. And, you know, all these fish all year round and all that stuff. Right. Which just isn't the reality of the situation. It's just not. Absolutely,
1: I and mean, you know, kind of on that, I'm having my own like personal boycott of. I am going to continue gripping green photos. I'll probably post them online. Yeah. But I, I will never measure the inches of antler of another deer, elk, moose, what antelope, whatever. Like I'm done with that. That's interesting because
0: the trophy yeah. isn't your point, right?
1: Right. It's not my point because. I mean, my wife just walked in. She's, She's got, got our new puppy. I don't know what's going oh, on.
0: Uh, that's right. You got uh, Black Lab?
1: Yeah. He's our, my new hunting puppy, puppy. He's named Remy. Remy. Remington, huh? Yeah. He's actually not named after Remington. Really? <laughs>
0: he is named after <laughs> Remy LeBeau, who was Gambit in X-Men series. I was going to ask you, but I couldn't pull the last name. I knew his first name was Remy, and I couldn't remember the last name, but that was my favorite X-Man. Relentless actually, words.
2: Yeah,
1: my wife actually, you know, she chose the name, but I definitely signed off on it because that's pretty sweet. That is I, I was hoping for Gambit, just Gambit. but she won't.
0: Remy is better. I like Remy.
2: It's French.
0: It is French. not French. It's Cajun.
2: <laughs>
0: it's Cajun. <laughs> Louisiana Cajun. French. <laughs> it's Creole. <laughs> so, uh is John be getting too old or what?
2: No, I mean, it's just
0: it was time to, yeah.
1: you know, um, my oldest dog is eight, you know, so it's a good time to bring a puppy on board to help teach manners and, for sure. uh, you know, that type of deal. Some people don't put a lot of
0: stock in that, but I do. Like I absolutely do when it comes to dogs, yeah. for sure.
2: You know,
1: I don't know how much it teaches hunt training, but I think it has a big deal with manners in the house. Just general like,
0: behavior on how to act right? You know, emulating I, behavior uh, in general?
1: yeah i definitely think that's a factor so so no john he's still he's fine he was a little sick and i was getting better so i'm happy with that so my
0: dogs aren't hunting dogs but on a personal note i'm a little worried about my oldest dog too he's a 10 year old australian shepherd he's uh mostly blind and wasn't eating dinner like at all he just wouldn't eat, and we got scared that's not good so i uh you know, made him some homemade stuff, boiled him some chicken and rice and whatever. I'm sure anyone's – that everyone has an opinion about if you're going to make <laughs> food for your dog, what it should be. But uh-huh. I boiled him some chicken and, you know, gave him some stuff and then he ate that. And now I'm not sure if he actually doesn't feel good or if he just is sick of dog food and he'll only eat boiled chicken and, like, homemade <laughs> dog food. So <laughs> anyway, he seems to be doing better. But, well, well, that's good. Like, like, I know
1: there's a guy here out and – north dakota that i cages occasionally post like online oh, my dad's that he's always looking for like deer squishy bits or carcasses stuff like that because yeah. he feeds his dog on a whole meat diet entirely yeah like so like when i shot my elk you know he happened to be coming out with his elk at the same time
2: mm-hmm. and
1: like i had taken all the essentially all the recoverable meat you know quarters and yeah. neck meat all that stuff and he's just like hey you gonna do anything with that rib cage i was like all yours man no, well, they aren't, man, as long as you help me load this, you know, really heavy cooler in the back of my vehicle, and it was cool, so, yeah. Yeah, he took, like, at the time, I, I didn't know a whole lot about cooking the squishy bits, so he took the heart and liver and stuff, too, but yep. I definitely won't be leaving hearts in the field anymore, but, oh, I love hearts, so, yeah.
0: so, well, that's awesome, man, that's really so, awesome, I don't know if dogs are actually obligate carnivores or not, like cats are, but, hey, man, I don't – I know, at least in wild dogs, they're not. Yeah, they're they're scavengers, right? Omnivore scavengers.
1: So, like, at certain times of the year, you'll find coyotes are – like, their scat is completely full of, like, plum pits. Like, they're just mowing down plums, like, getting all that sugar and whatever. So, I mean, they'll eat what they can. So, but, I mean, certainly a a high-protein diet is what they – um, you know, it's obviously better for him. He didn't usually meat based,
2: so for
0: sure, for sure. So, you are on a personal boycott of grip and grins. Which
1: no, 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 not
0: grip and grins.
1: I'm a personal boycott of oh, on measuring me- measuring inches of day. I I have one animal that is in the
0: Pope and Young
2: <laughs> book.
0: So, can we just talk about that for a second? Because sure. Uh, pointing our podcast at people who are new to hunting and getting people involved Um, when you say grip and grin that's where you hold the hold the antlers or whatever set your gun up against it cheese out, give a big old grin and a lot of times if you draw the ire of the vegans on social media they will threaten your family over it in certain instances because it is seen as celebrating the intentional killing of an animal which it kind of is but they don't understand that we've gone over that over and over um but when you say measuring inches it's the for different animals but like let's say deer there's specific standards on how to measure the total inches of the antlers or i think antelope have horns right the antlers or the horns or whatever uh uh, uh, sheep have horns too but uh and it's there's green, and then it has to dry for a certain amount of time, and then you know because as it dries, it will shrink down, and even antlers do that bone does that as well as the horns um and typically Boone and Crockett club has uh as a uh uh standard right they're this sort of industry standard if you will for measuring in uh inches mm-hmm. but Pope and young is that more for archery that's for archery only oh, okay. yeah okay and and uh. Boone and Crockett Club is for gun typically or both? It can, essentially
1: it's for, yeah, for a rifle taking ammo, but I mean, if you do it, as I understand it, is if you like, if you take one that is a booner, meaning you make the minimum requirements of Boone and Crockett Club, yeah. with a bow, you can still register, you can still get it you know, the Boon and Crockett record book. Okay. So, um, it's, the, the Pope and Young one would be the, the more restrictive the last has you be done with archery equipment.
0: Okay, Boone and Crockett Club started by Teddy Roosevelt.
1: I don't know the history on it. I'm not a member of the group.
0: I believe so. No. I don't need to Google it right now. Well, actually, I am going to Google it. You might right as now. well. <laughs> uh, so, you are. So, you find it kind of obnoxious that guys don't think they can go hunting or fishing without a hot tip, huh? of course <laughs> <laughs> all right oh i'm sorry
1: are you looking for some feedback here <laughs> yes no so where i'm at with that is I, I think is what you're driving as just that part of hunting doesn't interest me anymore i don't feel that that is the measure of my hunt that you know there was a time where yeah i wanted to shoot you know, a bigger buck,
0: you know, and, and, and I still do. I like taking mature deer. Right. But, you yeah, know, you what know I found... I've ethics and, of that in the past, two and why that yeah. should be, yeah. Right. So, I, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but, you know, I've had... I've stopped running trail cameras as well. Oh, no, you didn't mention
1: that. Okay. So, I used to... When I gained access to this piece of property, um, you know, through some work trade, essentially, um, the first thing I did was, you know, I scouted up by foot, but I also set up trail cameras, and then once... I knew that there's an incredible caliber of deer down there, both whitetails and mule deer, like stuff that guys would pay thousands and thousands of dollars to to hunt on. You know, I get it for the low low price of about two Saturdays of work a year.
2: Nice.
1: Uh, but what ended up happening is, is it's because of worried about inches of deer or inches of antler that I would have pictures and know there was bigger bucks out there. And a deer would come in, and on any other occasion, that deer would What's die shooter, at, huh? at my hand. That was a shooter deer. But I would know in the back of my mind that there's a bigger deer out there. So mm. what ended up happening is my trail cameras, they helped me in figuring out kind of some, the deer patterns and what have you. But those cameras have started saving deer, and uh-huh. I get to, the, my head to a the end bit. of the season. Yeah, I get to the end of the season and I eat the tag, hmm. and I realized you know, I came to kind of a, a realization like, what am I doing here? You know, this, Not and I had, I, yeah, I had a bit of a growing up moment that it's like, you know, what is my actual goal of To be out here to hunt, and yeah, I like taking mature deer, but I really like having venison. Right. So, I've I've stopped using cameras, so I'm not putting as much scent out, you know, near my stands in the in um, in my little slice of forest there, you know, and you know, and not bashing cameras completely because you know I wouldn't have figured out that property without them. You know, they were a great scouting tool. It helped. It taught me how the deer move on that property. When and why they're there, and
0: um, you know, now I don't need them anymore, yeah, because you got your area figured out, and all it's going to do is tell you, hey, there's a bigger deer out there, and you're going to pass on this nice shooter just because there's you know he's out there, even though you might have moved on. I mean, I've heard things about, or I've heard that mature bucks can travel far and wide, and I've absolutely that mature bucks even mature bucks stay within you know a couple mile radius i've heard both of those things before
2: uh-huh.
0: so i guess i don't know one way or the other but it all just depends right so i could see where if you had this trail cam of this huge big old buck and you didn't uh see it you'd pass on it, it can, yeah but you don't want to put it out there as a hot tip for somebody else huh
1: i'm still i'm still figuring out all my everything out of it i guess but yeah it's just it's how i you know treat it now i guess so yeah
2: you
0: know if it doesn't make sense to you email me maybe i can explain it better (laughs) no it completely makes sense but uh i find it interesting that as a person that's new to i mean all the other hunting i've ever done before in my past was with my dad or some friends here and there or older cousin or uncle here and there or my dad's friends or whatever. so I've never until now had to go out and just figure it out myself. And even now in the last podcast when we were talking about my plans for the fall, I got a tip about an area to go grouse hunting that I'm gonna check out right And it's a good it's a good place to start as somebody who's new is to get on those forums, pay attention to those forums, you know learn sort of areas and now that I know about this place where I got a tip to go grouse hunting, I can check it out and build that database of, okay, did I see grouse here? Didn't I, you know, do some research on the types of things that grouse like, but I mean, you can read on the internet and read books all day long. Nothing's going to give you more information than being out there. Absolutely. Um, And so what I'm uh, trying to get at here is even as a new hunter, use those tips but don't try and i mean it's easy to get sucked into running out to the place with the hot tip right away if it's anywhere close to you which i mean it might work too but it could just as easily not and feeling like you need all this information to get out there is not necessarily absolute and you'll get more information by just being out there and you learn just as much by figuring out where the fish aren't as you do by figuring out where the fish are. Like it's just, I mean, it's all not equally as valuable, but it's almost as valuable to know for sure. There are no fish right there as it is. I mean, one, you have fish and the other one you don't, but it's all building, right? Like, and that's part of the fun, especially if you're going with the person is all the conjecture on why or why not the, uh, the, dang fish are biting right right i mean that can be endless chatter that i've heard that's some something that's some people i fish with that's maybe the only thing we talk about is why the fish are or are not biting you know mm-hmm. i actually right. uh saw a meme on the interwebs about that on one of the forums uh that might be exactly to your point it's a picture of a walleye and it says, sorry, guys, I'm not biting. Your boat isn't sparkly enough, and your fish finder is too small. <laughs> oh, that's, that's hilarious
1: on several levels. So, <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> so it's kind of like that, right? Right. And, I mean, nice boats are nice. Big fish finders are big, right? And you can't discount the uh, usefulness, actually, of some optics, but when it comes to fishing but there gets to be a point of diminishing returns on everything and even with tips and so uh i think the old standby of chatting up the boys and boys and gals too sorry and uh you know getting out there and figuring out the spots that you have access to and really up to and including public land and when it comes to public land Uh, there's a big part there of working harder than everybody else. If you work harder and you go further, it'll do better on public land, right? So that'll do you as much good as chasing a hot tip, right? Especially like you're saying across states, right? Mm -hmm.
1: I'm glad you brought up public lands. I'm ready to kind of shift gears here a little bit if you are. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Uh, S-47, uh, Passed the Senate with a huge margin, I like, think, two weeks ago.
0: Now, explain no. S 47.
1: All right. S 47 is basically a, uh, best way to put it like a conservation bill. Like, in it, amongst other things, is like permanent reauthorization of the Land Water Conservation Fund, a huge, you know, an amazing conservation tool. So, that basically brings in no tax, like, no out of your pocket taxpayer money that. Is and it's it, the money comes from essentially uh, offshore drilling mm-hmm. that you know it, it that it was a tax imposed on them for essentially when they got their permits the offshore drill it, that this would go into habitat restoration or to access uh, so it can be like it can be used like by um small pieces of property to gain access to like landlocked property or by that i mean it's like uh you know if there's also public land. land that's blocked by private land with no access yeah like this this fund can be used for easements um essentially to,
0: any type of conservation efforts on mm-hmm. the land or the water right
1: essentially yeah and then you know, amongst other things like it's it can be used to, uh, you know, people get or the communities get grants for like baseball parks or, you know, a, a number of different things like that. So it, it it sounds like it passed the Senate, which, you know, uh, uh, generally speaking, uh, the, the Republican Party is a little more adverse to conservation sp- spending and they still control the Senate. And this passed by 92 to 8, wow. this bill. Which goes to show just how popular these programs are amongst the populace. Right.
2: Um,
1: so it goes to the House and then eventually to the, to uh, uh, you know the White House for signing. And I'm, I'm seeing how it passed the Senate that you know by such a wide margin. I'm really hopeful it's going to pass the uh, uh, House of representatives and um, eventually be signed into law. So, yeah. uh, okay. and I
0: really. Isn't it permanent funding of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, right? Yeah, it's permanent. Land and Water Conservation Fund is one of those budget items that comes up every now and again as something that gets uh, considered for reallocation of funds, right? Right. So what happened with it, I think when they first passed it, I think it it was
1: given like a 30-year – like a horizon you know and and unfortunately in those 30 years i think it's only been fully funded once like they Mm. like the fund exists but they're not required by law to fully fund it every year so it's usually only about half Uh, so and then once it you know it, it had its horizon uh then it went to like a year or like a couple year increments at a time i'm not completely on the whole history of it and then i think it was back in september october 2018 it expired completely and they never picked it up again so the fact that it's they pass the senate passes legislation to permanently reauthorize it's huge for anybody that enjoys the outdoors and that's not just uh hunters and anglers uh, but also for the I'm not going to call them non-consumptive users anymore, but just people that consume differently,
0: uh, the outdoors. So I, I, uh, I find that uh, traditional and non tr well, traditional, uh, what I call traditional outdoorsmanship is hunting and fishing, right? hmm And I don't know what I call the other climbing, backpacking, mountain biking, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I call that yet, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm done calling them non-consumptive because... Their presence in right. the nature is a consumptive use of sorts. So that form of consuming
0: what's there. You
1: know, yeah, because I mean, no matter what, they're going to essentially disturb what's there, one way or another. Because leave the an impact animals impact don't
0: by their presence. Animals know you're there. Yeah. Animals know you're
1: there, and they react to you. Yeah.
0: So, which may expose them to uh, different predators. They it may their behavior based on the frequency of your visits.
1: Right. You know. So, no matter what you are, even if, even if you don't go out into nature at all, you know, and you're the most adamant natural animal rights activist on the planet, you are still a consumptive user because like you're taking up space that that animal would use you were using you know from the structure you live in you know that had an impact on wildlife somewhere you know it is it is impossible for you to be a non-consumptive user of natural resources on this planet and that's just the way it is right so i'm not going to call them non-consumptive users anymore Mm -hmm. i don't have A different word for for them, and and i don't mean to disrespect by it i am just mean to say that a non-consumptive user is not an accurate description
0: yeah so i just did a quick google uh summary of s47 of the 116th congress uh from Mm -hmm. congress.gov um there's some highlights here specifically the bill addresses among other matters land conveyances exchanges acquisitions withdrawals and transfers uh-huh. National parks, monuments, memorials, wilderness areas, wild and scenic rivers, historic and heritage sites, and other conservation and recreation areas, wildlife conservation, uh, wildland fire operations,
2: uh-huh. the release it's a of. Huge
0: deal. Yes, boundary adjustments, the release of certain federal reversionary land interests, uh, a natural gas pipeline through Denali National Park and Preserve. Uh, fees for medical services and units of the National Park System, funding for the Land and Water Conservation Fund, recreational activities on federal and or non-federal lands, a national volcano early warning and monitoring system, federal reclamation projects, and search and recovery missions. So a little bit awesome. for everybody in there. A little bit for everybody in there. That volcano thing will be interesting, considering uh, Yellowstone is like an uh, ultra caldera. <laughs> why do you bring
2: that up? wonder if they're worried I, uh, about that huh
0: yeah <laughs> anyway there's nothing you can do being worried about it so have fun no, your visit. There's,
1: not. no there's absolutely the nothing we can alone. do about that after when that thing decides to go off
0: yeah meanwhile when you visit don't be stupid leave the wildlife alone we look with we we see with our eyes we look with yeah. our eyes
2: mm-hmm.
1: And the sulfur springs are not hot tubs. Nope. They will boil you alive. Right. But anyway, so, that's, really so that's cool. on the, So that's on the national thing. We got some huge news going on in North Dakota right now. Okay. Or big. So our our legislative uh, assembly is only in session in basically every other year. So on the odd years. So. Mm-hmm. Um, This year, it's come up again. Well, you know, essentially it's known as the Trespass Bill. So in North Dakota, as of right now, we're one of four states, if I recall, Mm -hmm. where the presumption of access to private lands is that it is uh, okay to hunt – walk, trespass, essentially, you know, whether you're hunting or photography, if the land is not posted, and by that I mean having signs on the corners or places of entry, like a gate or what have you, okay, that's that pro- explicitly prohibited.
0: In Minnesota, so, I think it has to be posted every 500 feet or something like that, don't quote me, but it has to be posted like every, at, at distance mm-hmm. intervals as well. Right.
1: So, what is they're proposing right now is a change in that presumptive, of you know the assumption that the land, if it's not posted, that is open to hunting. What they're changing is essentially the opposite: is that all land will be considered posted, regardless of if there's signs or not. And and you know, we, and they're adding some caveats to it here and there. It's not. It's not a a done deal as of yet. It's going to get amended again, I'm sure. It's only passed this. We have two assemblies in the state, and it's passed the Senate. onto the House, and um, they're talking about building an app type deal and, and what have you. But the, the basis of it is changing the presumption of access to private land. Okay. Now, I I certainly understand uh, the. And and I get it completely when it comes to private land um, rights. You know, it is private land. By what right do I have to access somebody's land just because there isn't a sign there telling me that I can't? You know, you're not you're not allowed to just go on my lawn and do hunting. You know, why does it change once it's in, you know, essentially out of city city uh, boundaries?
0: Right. Which is, yeah, it's a very interesting sort of philosophical question. It's an interesting, yeah. And where it gets
1: so where it gets really sticky is yes, private land is, uh, you know, just that. You know, the, the owner should be able to control access to to that. You know, and he should in their, you know, in a way. You know, I guess I understand is they should they shouldn't be the ones that have to jump through hoops to either, you know, provide or prevent access to their land. Where it gets really sticky is wildlife you know, that inhabits private land is held in the public trust. It belongs to the public. It does not belong to that landowner. Whether it be a deer, an elk, or an antelope, or a pheasant. Mm -hmm. So where things have come here, you know, is that you know the, the the public expects access to what essentially the public resources yeah and when it's on private land especially in a state like north dakota that has so little public land you know it's where things start getting very you know very contentious and it's yeah. um i honestly don't know how i feel on it right now because it's you know i i understand that completely we're you know, we are landowners ourselves, or my family is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for years we never posted the land. We were, you know, we didn't think it was fair that, you know, we were avid waterfallers and we would go out, we relied on, uh, open private land you know generally cuts uh, wheat or corn fields yeah. to be able to, to to hunt waterfall and it wasn't fair for us to you know come home and post our land and say we weren't going to let people on or, or make them you know get a hold us to gain access so we left it open you know that was what was right we felt yeah. you know and, and in a way we, you know and we still do right but what we do now is essentially we post the land you know, to prevent access because now we want to know who's on it and we, you know, some, and it was getting over pressured, over hunted and it was bad for everybody. But, you yeah. know, if you didn't have to check in with anybody, you didn't know if somebody was already there that morning and had already walked it for grouse and already kicked all the grouse out and you're not going to get anything anyway. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, so, so that's where we're at now. So, and, and what I, and I'm going to tell a little story to, to illustrate the point here. Okay. Uh, that a couple years ago, it was a uh, um, we were waterfall hunting. And it was a piece of private property that was posted, and my dad went and asked permission to hunt, okay. and we got permission to hunt. And so the next morning we got up early, went out and set up our decoys out in this cut cornfield. We're hunting snow geese, and mm-hmm. shortly, you know, the birds haven't even really flown yet. Shortly after sunrise, you know, we see a, a truck start driving out into the field. And immediately, you know, it's, ah, crap, right? You know, I'm like, Dad, are you sure you're in the right field? Did we get permission to hunt this field? Yeah. You know, it's like, absolutely, yeah, this is the field we got. You know, I talked to the guy yesterday, you know, and, you know, so this guy comes up and he, he, he dro- drives right into our blind set, you know, right, right into our decoys, and he uh-huh. you know, leans, leans out the window and he says, are you the guy that asked me to hunt yesterday to my dad? And my dad goes, yeah, he's like, you should have stopped to ask again, ask permission again. And then oh. drove away. He didn't kick us out. He didn't, you know, didn't say anything of like that. And it took us a little while to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And what we what we're, what we figured happened is that my dad had asked permission for the day before, or asked uh, permission the day before.
0: And, and so what he thought we, it meant yesterday.
1: And Yeah, that's what he assumed. You know that that is what we meant. Now, when my dad asked, it was like 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the day, which is really late in the day to start, especially uh, goose hunting. So we were always under the assumption that we were asking the next, for the next day, yeah, because that's the the, the the normal thing of it. And since you know we didn't right specify, spread, though, huh? That's kind of aggressive, right? <laughs> well, it is, but it's his land, right? You know what? Right. You know, so. We- You know, he didn't. So what it boiled down to was we didn't communicate clearly what our intentions were. We had no ill intentions. That's why we asked permission to begin with. Yes. You know, we had done things like we had always done, and no, and most. You know, we you know we felt that like most guys would understood that that you go, you know, usually goose hunting in the morning. Yeah. So when he didn't understand that, he didn't understand what our intentions were, is where we ran into conflict. Yeah. So And I think that's what, a lot of what this bill boils down to right now, is that the A community or landowner community and the sportsman community is we're not clearly, you know, communicating and telling what we expect from one another. Right. So... And, it, and it's it, unfortunately, it's becoming, um, you know, especially online, and online can be so poisonous, as we all know, that, it, you know, it, it's creating a lot of bad feelings amongst the egg community and the hunting community.
2: Yeah.
1: And and it's, was it avoidable? I don't know. I, you know, it, it, there's part of me that wishes, yeah, it was avoidable. And there's part of me that was like, you know, that it kind of says, no, there was no way to avoid it. It was going to come to a head eventually. We're one of the last holdout states that have this presumption of access to private lands. So, yeah. it, you know, I, I hope cooler heads prevail and we can find a solution for everyone, you know, but it's uh, – Um, you know, one, it's not going to stop me from hunting, you know, I'm, you know, oftentimes, even if land wasn't posted, I'd still go ask, you know, and you know, when I ask now, I'm very upfront, I will tell. You know, I, 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 you know, I'll offer information that even if they don't ask for it, I'm like, yep, this my name is Adam, this is my cell phone, you reach me at, I'm gonna be out here and be hunting with three people and one dog, we're gonna have two trucks, one with the trailer. If you don't mind, we're gonna park at this approach. Do you mind if we drive onto the field, or do you need to, or do we need to carry the decoys? You know, I, when I get off the phone or, or, yeah. or preferably face-to-face conversation like with this landowner, right. Yeah, I want there to be no questions of what he can expect from me when I'm hunting his land because it's a very land ownership is an intensely personal thing, like, mm-hmm. Absolutely. you know, you know. So, you know, and I encourage other people, you know, to, to do the same. And I, I know it feels that you, you're jumping through some hoops, or you, do, you, you know, you might feel that you shouldn't have to because you're hunting a, you know, a, you know, what's a something that's held in the public trust, right? Uh, but eventually, you know, uh, they're going to win out. If they have to post it and just post it tight and never let anybody access it, you know, then we still lost the fight, you know, so you're not gaining anything. So... Which is... I'm... Yeah. I don't know. It's it's frustrating to see how the two sides have come to the table
2: on this.
0: Well, and it's... That's a very American way of... Well, it's, it is the American model, right? The animals themselves are held in the public trust, right? Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, as I understand it, in Europe and, like, Britain, the crown uh, owns the animals, or did at one point. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's very interesting that the animals are in the public trust, but the access, you can't go on someone's private land to get the access to the animals, which is mm-hmm. why for an increasing number of people who are non-landowners, right? I mean, I know a lot, I mean, people inherit lands and you sell it, right? Because it takes, yep. it's worth more to you up front and it, you know, you get the cash and it takes a lot of, uh, takes a lot of effort to maintain land ownership just to own it. So people get rid of it. And so you? there's a smaller amount of landowners out there and that's why public land is so important as yeah. access to uh, these animals and, I mean, really experiences that are held in the public trust, right? Right. You yeah, know, absolutely. So, um, in Minnesota, we just had the backcountry hunters and anglers. Shout out, backcountry hunters and anglers. On February 7th, uh, held our second annual rally for public lands at the state capitol mm-hmm. in St. Paul. And actually, Land Tawny was the He's the president and CEO of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. He's the keynote speaker. Uh, One of the big things here that they talk about is this no net gain provision. And Mm -hmm. as I understand it, uh, there's a bill that allows counties to establish no net gains of public land policies within their borders, right? Mm -hmm. So, which means, and I believe it leaves it up to the counties I would have to do a little bit more, but... It means that uh, the DNR would be required to sell an equal amount of public lands that they own proportionate to any new public lands it acquires with outdoor heritage legacy funds, which is very interesting. And, I mean, clearly we can tell why that is not great for those of us of the mind of conservation and public lands and pro public lands and things like that. Right. But I need to do some more research personally personally on the, what is the argument for this? Like, why do we not want more public lands? Because I mean, Minnesota deer hunters association, uh, the executive director, gentleman by the name of Mr. Mark Johnson, you know, we have the right to hunt and fish Minnesota but if you don't have access, what good is it, right? Like, that's a pretty right. much direct quote to him. Um, right. And so so I don't know why they want to have this no net game provision.
1: Generally speaking, and, and I'm not 100% familiar with your guys' situation over there, but a lot of what it boils down to the county is the – Either can't or are only able to extract at a lower rate uh, property taxes for for those lands essentially because they're not in production.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: egg land egg land can be taxed uh, as far as I know higher, yeah. or or whatever it is, and that based you know that's based in county county state to state. So you know that's a huge thing with public lands out west is that well we're we're losing the states are losing. At least as they say they are, they're losing um, tax revenue because they have these lands that they they're not able to gain taxes on. When you know, what state of Nevada say that eighty percent of the land that is in your state, you cannot gain tax revenue on it because that tax revenue goes to the federal government. Yeah. Okay, but the federal government provides them payment in lieu of taxes for those lands. Right. So. oftentimes you know you know that's the detail that's left out you know that and people aren't um discussing it in, a, in an honest way so I'd have to look into that one you know as you know I don't I've, I've got a lot of closer to the uh, to the ground here in north dakota but yeah. i'll have to look into that minnesota one too because i have interest in minnesota and um that's the type of thing that really frustrates me frustrates me. because a lot of times these lands that are taken out of say egg production or whatever and become like a public land for like well imaginary or what have you right. oftentimes their best use as is a piece of wild land right. that it wasn't it wasn't good egg land to begin with that's why you know they decided to let it or either let it or put the work in to essentially rewild it. So uh, I would fight that if I were you.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, and I'm, you know, as I'm, again, coming back to hunting and fishing and more general outdoorsmanship as an adult, I'm realizing that there's a lot more of this political side to it that I'm trying to become more educated in. And this one is, like, I understand, it's like, what do you mean no net gain and why would you even want to do that? Like, to me, it's plain that, why would you want to if you're going to buy a certain acreage well they use the word protect not buy but if you're going to protect a certain acreage of public land in a state why would you then turn around and you know bring some in the front door and kick some more out the back door right like if the net goal is to is to protect the land then why would you do that but i suppose there are different uh philosophical ideas on holding that land in the public trust and uh from what i've read about it there's uh you know legislators county folks farm groups are starting to question in this state the policy of acquiring lands for the public trust like that because uh conservation groups are saying that you know it's a key component in general wildlife conservation in general is land acquisition. Right. Uh, Uh but I think what they're saying is counties are trying to say that, you know, they, we, we have invasive species problems in certain areas in Minnesota, right? We have zebra mussels and aquatic milfoil and all that sort of stuff. And there's Asian carp here and there, I believe. And they're saying, you know, we, Instead of acquiring new lands, why not put funds towards handling the lands that we do have? And, you know, what's the, what's the opportunity cost or other usage? And I think people are wanting to keep certain, you know, the proportions equal or are concerned about getting out of proportion for public-owned lands in our state and in our counties rather than privately-owned lands. But like you say, a lot of the times that public land is... Uh, best used as habitat anyway it's not necessarily farmable ranchable land right yeah oftentimes. so anyway I think that's part of it but I'll do some more research and talk more about it and I of course I think February 7th was what like a Tuesday or something like that so I did not I mean I got a job I got to work I did not make it down to the Capitol Rotunda to see Lantani but pint night here I come you know right so
1: well you know i helped out that backcountry hunters and anglers uh um that's a big mark's show here and i was i was pretty pleasantly um not surprised but just i was really happy with the the amount of new memberships that we got signed up um for just even that four or five hours out i was there so um intelligent people care i'm happy about that for
0: sure for sure and uh i mean i think it would be Backcountry hunters, and anglers is hunting and fishing focused, right? But I mean, there's a lot of other activities, like we said too, that don't necessarily need to be something entirely different to have the same interest in protecting public mm-hmm. lands, right?
1: Well, they're, I mean, they're a public access and conservation group, you know, that I mean, we certainly hunt and fish a lot, but that's, right. you know, they're not turning away any mushroom picker or, or anybody like that. So I mean, it's the, you know, the, without the public land you know, it's, it's, it's moot
0: point anyway. So yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Well, I'm going to take my own advice on this one again and educate myself on this because, uh, until now I've been focusing on, I don't know. I generally take the attitude as politics in our day and age is cuckoo crazy town. Uh, mm -hmm. and a lot of Arguing with not a lot of traction, but it turns out in this particular area that there are things that have very real impacts on the things that I like to do in my life. And so Uh that's uh, I've been focusing a lot on educating myself about what I even need to do to uh, to get out there and get hunting and fishing and things like that. But this political aspect of it also can't be denied as having a real impact on that. So. That's absolutely something I'm starting to get into more. So I'm going to take my own advice, do my research on that, and learn more, and probably try not to grandstand on this our internet radio show too much about it. but you know we gotta it's part of the whole it's part of the whole uh, bigger picture on all this, so it's important. Thats true. so. That's 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 all all I got got to say on that. Well, we got to do our closing statement or our closing segment. What is the last wild game meal you cooked?
1: Oh, you want me to lead off this time?
0: Okay, I can lead off if you don't want to. You started first last time. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I'll do it. Go
1: ahead. Okay. So, I had this is a staple in my house, it's one of my favorites. And I made uh, corn goose hash. Oh, dang. So, if you're familiar with a goose or, you know, any fowl, you know, essentially the breast, it comes in essentially two sides and that breast goes down the middle, right? Yeah. So, I'll take those whole breasts out, you know, or so you end up with two pieces mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll use a, a simple brine corning method for that. And then I usually just cut them in half and freeze them for when I need them. So, I, know what I take one of those a, halves.
0: In a corning brine, what's huh? in that? Salt, water, what else? In a corning brine.
1: Uh, uh salt water sugar pickling spice essentially all right. all right and then you gotta let that sit for a week yeah. i want to say in that oh yeah it ends in,
0: in garlic you know add a bunch of
1: garlic in there in that you, know, brine. That
0: to tell you how At much that, garlic to put in there too don't listen to anybody right so you take that out and then you
1: gotta after a week and then you gotta simmer it for like um three hours you know it helps like break it down getting kind of um Soft, I guess you could say, so it isn't quite so tough.
2: Yeah.
1: And then you essentially do what you want with it after that. You can slice it down to make yourself, uh, you know, uh, essentially anywhere you would use corned beef, you know, use this wild game. So I've done it with nice. venison, I do it with, with, it's, I really like it with goose. And so, and then I'll usually do is slice those. I usually do it with bigger geese, you know. So if I get into the graders, do it with that. And then basically just slice that breast in half and package it up and use it when I need it. So, anyway, so I take one of those, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll take a potato about the same size. So it's about a one to one ratio there. And I'll cube up that potato really fine, you know, maybe about, you know, figure like size like a tic tac.
2: Yeah.
1: And then. And then about half as much of a onion. Again, I'll you know I'll dice that pretty fine. So
2: yeah,
1: so I'll put potato potatoes in first, you know, yeah, and we'll get, get a good start, get, get a good brown, brown on those. Or, you know, then I'll put my onions in about five minutes after that. You know, as I'm working on that, I'm, I'm chopping up my my, uh, my corn meat, you know, and that kind of starts to almost crumble a little bit, you know, yeah. but get to be, be about that same size. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because all
1: you're really going to do is heat this up because, like, there's not a whole lot of fat in that meat. Right. Right? It'll char so real fast. So when I, you know, so right about, yep, so right about when I, you know, I'm going to put that meat in, you know, I'll probably throw in, uh, about a tablespoon of butter, you know, because it's, although the, it's gonna be kind of dry otherwise, you know, so, yeah. um, put in that butter, i will throw in that meat, get that, you know, start, you know, I'll turn the heat down, let this start warming up, getting that, you know, the butter to start stuff in. I usually only season it with like salt, pepper, and thyme. Yeah. Um, that's kind of my secret too, is the thyme. I love thyme. All right. Then, uh, the uh, then, yeah, about that time, yeah, about that time when, a, you know, everything's coming together there.
2: Mm. I'll
1: push all that, all of it off to one side of the pan. I'll, you know, I'll uh, uh, fry three eggs. I want them over easy or oh, sunny really? side up because I, want that, that the, I want that yolk. Yeah. Yeah, all that runny yolk, yeah. So I'll put all that hash right on the table, right on my plate, you know. I'll put mm. it on, uh, put those eggs right on top so I can, like, cut into yeah, them, and right let that yolk through. run down yeah. into the hash, and usually have a couple pieces of toast and some coffee with it. Oh and it God. is breakfast nirvana, man. Corn like.
0: hash with Friday. And, and it's so hash. much better than
1: canned hash. I
0: can't even oh tell gosh, you. How that much. sounds awesome. That sounds awesome, man. Mm-hmm. I got, I'm going to actually. I, I would have never thought to make corn to anything out of a uh, wild game, so I'm going to use that for sure. All right, let's hear it. Well, I did an old standby as well. Uh, This is one of my go-to recipes for ground venison. I uh, took a pound of just straight ground and then a pound of, it's a half and half bacon venison ground. So it's three parts ground venison to one part ground bacon essentially and then uh, just dump that in a bowl. However much garlic my heart tells me to put in there at the time it's usually a lot. Uh, Take about half an onion And I grate it up really fine because I find it mixes up better and dump that in there. Uh, However much Parmesan cheese my heart tells me to put in there, which is usually a lot because it's delicious. Uh, And then a healthy dose of Italian seasoned breadcrumbs and two eggs. And then I dump some olive oil in there too because like you were saying, you know, it's wild game is extremely lean meat. So a lot of times you got to add fat to it, right? And I just get the old hands in there and mix them all up. Make myself some nice little meatballs. And I, you know, I like them. I like them decently sized, Mm -hmm. actually. I like it to be like a two or three meatball meal. And that's it. I like big old ones. So I uh, make some meatballs and then I Mm -hmm. pan fry them. And then I dump them in like a glass Pyrex dish or something. And this might be blasphemy, but I have some, they are like some local canned marinara sauces that i can make it or i can get at the store right so i go buy some of those and i just use the jar mm-hmm. i not gonna make my own marinara sauce quite yet but maybe i will with my garden next year but uh you know i try and get the good stuff and dump that over them and then uh put them in the oven and bake them for a while and then to finish them off i throw i coat the top in either like italian cheese blend or just mozzarella and throw them under the broiler and melt that down. Pop them out of there. Serve it with like uh, uh-huh. some crusty French bread or some sourdough. Just in a pasta bowl with all that good cooked out sauce coming out of the juices coming out of the meatballs. Simmered in that sauce for forever. Big old solid meatballs with a ton of cheese on there and bread. That's a go-to in the winter months. So. Oh, yeah. So good. It's one of my favorites. I make it, actually. I dig it. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Uh, as always, educate yourself. Read up on the politics because it affects what you want to do out there. Get involved in associations. We talked a lot about backcountry hunters and anglers, but there's a million of them. Ducks Unlimited. Uh, Pheasants Forever. Pheasants Forever. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Quality Deer Management Associations, North American Wild Turkey Federation. Just get involved because it'll help you in all ways. It'll help you stay up on the politics. It'll help you with all of your... uh, You might get some hot tips to chase across state lines if you really want to. Uh, But it'll uh, help you stay involved. It'll help you stay passionate. It'll connect you with like-minded individuals and it'll help you learn how to do what it is that you want to do. Um, And as much as we said, don't don't chase hot tips uh like internet groups and forums and social media and forum websites are also great places to get a bunch of information and connect with like-minded people too along with uh state local national learn to hunt programs and hunting and conservation land and wildlife management groups there are a million of them out there so get involved with those uh i haven't said it in a while and apologies guys But I was just listening to them tonight. And thanks to Craig Minawa and Cloud Cult for letting us use their song Running with the Wolves as the intro and outro to our program. And uh, sharpen your teeth, dig deep, get out there.
2: Our cubicles and little flaming pies.